You're listening to episode 45. I'm Jules. And I'm Cece. And we're talking about murder. We're talking about murder. So we are talking about, this is part two. This is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one of Frederick Bailey Deeming. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Yeah, get the fuck off this and go back. Go back to the last episode and you have to listen to the first half before you get to the second half. That is the price of admission. Yeah, you do. You have to do it. So is there anything exciting going on in your life right this moment? Not anything that I'm going to talk about. Exciting. (laughs) Not anything that I'm going to talk about. Someday I might have exciting things to share, but not yet. Okay. Well, good things going on in my life, though. You do have good things going on in your life. Mm -hmm. I think. So that's exciting. Yeah. Anyway, would you like to do the recap? Yeah. Okay. For our listeners. Listen up, guys. If you forgot what happened since last week, Mm -hmm. here's the deal. This dude, his name is Fred, and he is a garbage human and he gets married to his sister-in-law like not like it was a good sister-in-law so like his brother he didn't marry his sister-in-law he married his sister-in-law's sister oh yeah he married his sister-in-law's sister that makes more (laughs) sense and is less shitty but he's still shitty okay so he gets married to his sister-in-law's sister and then they probably all had so many kids that had all the same dna I knew somebody like that once. It was very hard to. They all looked Mm -hmm. the same. All these children because they all were like siblings. Okay. Anyway, they like they all had sibling DNA. It was weird. Anyway, so getting back to this guy, Fred. He's a piece of shit. He gets malaria, and he decides that he's going to reinvent himself and be just like this fancy man that cons people all over the place essentially (laughs) and so he like always is running away and his wife is trying to get him and i'm like really bad at explaining this his wife is always trying to get him and like make him come home but he's just like dragging her all around the world and then back again and then taken off in different places in the meantime he's getting caught for all the stupid shit he's doing so he's going to jail for short periods of time and things like that Then he gets married to another lady while still married to the first lady and he takes a bunch of her shit and then the second lady gets confronted by first lady and she's like, oh, fuck, this is embarrassing. Let's not talk about it. And then he gets out of jail for the final time where we're at right now and he decides that he's going to go to this little tiny town called Rain Hill. Hill Rain? Yeah. Rain Hill. Not Hill Rain. Rain Hill. And he's about to move his wife and his four children there. And he's telling her that they're gonna they're gonna start fresh. They're gonna have this wonderful new life together. He's finally ready to settle down and not be a bag of dicks. Did but I miss that's anything? not true. It's not true. So he had hatched this evil plan to get rid of his first wife, Marie. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, He knows that she is a danger to him being able to continue on his life doing whatever the fuck he wants to do. And she's standing in the way of that. So. You are right. 
he has landed in the village of Rainhill. Rain Hill. I don't know why I suddenly became a local. Rainhill. I feel like that's probably how you're supposed to say it. Probably. Just like how you don't say Shire, you're like, sure. Shire. Yeah. Worcestershire. Yeah, Instead of Worcestershire. Okay. So here he is in some steak sauce. In, in Rainhill. <laughs> that's, that's how you yeah. say it is a Rainhill, I bet. It probably is. So he is using the fake name of Albert Williams. He loves to use a good fake name, right? He's already done it once when he married that other woman, Helen, that didn't last. Here he is in this new town. A mysterious woman shows up at the hotel. And when he's talking to other people around the hotel, because it's not a huge town, he dismisses this mystery woman as his sister. He said that she was visiting before she left for Port Said. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, it was just my sister, whatever. So mm-hmm. he goes on to take a lease on a house that is called Denham Villa. Okay. It is a house that is in Rainhill or Rinnell. Okay, you're really fucking me up now. I'm, I made okay, up fine. how to say that. So, okay, it's really well, confident about whatever. It. So, he rented this house under the guise of saying that he was renting it on behalf of a military friend. Like he was like, "Yeah, me, I'm retired from the military, so uh, my name is Albert Williams, and I have this military friend." And his name is Colonel Brooks. Completely fake dude. Completely fake Colonel military Brooks officer. Colonel Brooks doesn't exist. Yeah, Colonel Brooks He's like Colonel does Sanders. not exist. He's not, okay? He's English. He's not Is Colonel Sanders real? I think so. Okay. Keep going. I think he's a, I just, I think he's a real man just with wondered. real history in Kentucky. But I don't know. I ate Kentucky okay. chicken in Kentucky once. What? One time when I was driving through Kentucky, I needed to stop and get food. And I was like, there's a Kentucky fried chicken right there. And I just felt like it was the best time in my life to eat a Kentucky fried chicken if I was ever going to eat one. You said that whole phrase about Kentucky Kentucky fried chicken. Like you said it so fast. What the fuck even was that? Fucking no. Okay. Colonel so-and-so Brooks. Colonel Brooks. I got to tell you, like, I've had a real hankering for some KFC lately. KFC's like, I hadn't delicious. eaten that shit in, like, five years. I love their clothes. But I had to go through the drive-thru. I did it last year before I started. Last year? Last week. I did it last week before I started Nutrisystem. <laughs> Dying today, hungry. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. So, okay. he says that his fake military officer friend is on furlough from India. So, he's just helping a bro out, right? Okay. I'm just going to rent this place from a fancy friend. So don't anybody worry about what I'm doing here. So he leases the building from this old widow lady named Mrs. Mather. Okay. And he actually himself, like you're going to have to cut out that big, long, dramatic pause that he did while I was trying to find my place. Just kidding. Um, However... It's weird. Colonel Brooks never shows up. So Fred, oh who is disguised as Albert Williams, takes up residence in 
Denim Villa. You know, just waiting there until the colonel shows up. So while he's there, a woman and several children are seen at the house and around town. And again, he just dismisses them as his sister and her children visiting. And really, eventually when they disappear, he just tells everybody, oh, yeah, this is just they returned back home. So, yeah, shortly afterward, after he had gotten to the town and had taken up residence in in the villa, and this is while his sister was still visiting, he claims to the old landlady, he's like, hey, the drains are really messed up in the kitchen and it's all defective and I'm super smart. And so I know that the kitchen floor really needs to be replaced. So he convinces the old lady yeah. that the floors need to be like taken up basically and like re-cemented, like new concrete. Yeah. Whatever. And he decides that he's going to have this work closely supervised by himself, right? And he's like, hey, who do you know that would be a good person to help do this? So Mrs. Mathers has a family friend that's a laborer that can do this concrete work. And so she kind of hooks him up with that. Okay. Conveniently, he's able to pre-dig up graves that he would soon be using and then covering with the concrete or cement. Oh. Okay. He's got a plan here. Oh, so he's apparently, not the first guy to do this or the last. I know. So apparently the excess dirt that ended up existing... Because, because of the holes, was, yeah. Yeah, because of the holes and they needed to fill the holes. He ended up putting all the excess dirt like into some travel trunks. Oh. And then just pretended like they were luggage later. Yeah. All right. So it is thought that he carried out the murders on um, August 11th. And they think that he did it using a native battle axe to first knock them unconscious but the, it was during the night before he ended up cutting their throats from Jesus. ear to ear. Normally, I really wouldn't talk about like what he did to the kids and stuff. But because of the whole thing of them thinking that he might have been Jack the Ripper, that's why I think it's important to know how he carried out his murders on okay. his family members and things. So he probably killed them while they slept. They... they f- Later on in the story, you will find out that when they are eventually found and they're exhumed, they were wearing their night clothes. Yeah, that so, makes the most sense. Yes. So they're thinking that's what happened. So he quickly buried the bodies in that kitchen. He spent the rest of the night likely mopping up the blood, destroying incriminating evidence. Uh, later, he did hire a lady to thoroughly scrub the house down and to make sure there wasn't a trace of violence in the house or anywhere like he wanted to make it look like what my sister was here and then she left right she left in the middle of the night so he did end up using that hired friend of mrs mathers right a mather family friend Mm -hmm. who is a laborer to help lay the cement over the bodies and this guy had no idea that there were dead bodies yeah it's just like dirt under there and so dude didn't know that he was burying bodies, but, you know, Fred could use him as a patsy later if he needed to. Yeah. 
So it's pretty fucked up. Okay. The idea of entombing his family in concrete actually came from his memories of his apprentice days when he was working um, on some plumbing of the Chester Cathedral. And while he was doing that, they had to like, you know, chip away into the ground, I guess, and like do some work under the concrete and replace it. Yeah. So the experience had fascinated him, as did resealing the tomb in cement. So he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. I've seen it done. In his mind, the concept worked really great because of the the consistency of the soil that was in Rain Hill. Yeah. And so it was it it worked out really really slick for him. He was able to do the burial, do everything. The cement happened over the top of it. The guy that helped him was none the wiser. It's pretty gross. It is so, super gross. It's really gross. It's really sad. He explained his family's sudden appearance and disappearance to the nosy neighbors and to the Mathers as, again, his sister, right? Mm -hmm. Just saying like, oh, yeah, she was just on her way to go see her husband. And they were tying up all the loose ends. And he wrote to his brother and his wife's family and informed them that Marie and the kids were moving back to the colonies you know, like one of those other places. One mm-hmm. account said that. Another account said that he told people that they were on holiday, which people accepted without concern because I guess Marie was kind of a world traveler at this point, right? Yeah. They did go on holiday when he was dragging them all over hell, all over the country and yeah. out of the country and across the seas and everywhere else. So people just were like, okay, I guess it is what it is. Yeah. I did hear on one podcast that people in the area thought it was kind of weird that that f- Fred posing as Alfred. Did I say Alfred or Albert? Which Albert, I think, is his name. Okay. I think his brother is Alfred. He's I had so Fred confusing. and Alfred. I didn't even think about no, that. No, he's Albert. Know. He's Albert. Oh, okay. Right now. All right. Okay. So people thought it was kind of weird that Albert had fair skin with that bright red mustache and his sister had dark hair and a darker complexion yeah like i heard her described someplace else as a very general welsh girl yeah so i don't know really what that means but okay while he was still in Rainhill, fred began to start dating mrs mather's daughter i think it was mrs mather's daughter Because it just so happens that Mrs. Mather, the old lady that he's renting from, is a widow. And now all of a sudden he's dating this 27-year-old named Emily Lydia Mather, who is the daughter of a widowed local shopkeeper named Dove Mather. So I think it's the same widow. Why they didn't connect the dots on that is unbeknownst to me. But later on it makes sense that they were the same, one and the same. So Emily knew him as Albert Williams. They had a very short courtship because, I mean, if you look at the time period here, it's just a matter of months. Yeah, and but I thought it was completely crazy back then. Yeah. So on September 22nd of 1891, he basically invited the whole tiny-ass village to their wedding. So... All of this kind of came back to haunt him later because an invitation to their wedding 
ended up being his undoing. Ooh. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Foreshadows. Anyway, after the wedding, he announced that he he was just like, well, we're married. Uh, actually, I'm going to unretire and go back into the military. And I'm going to go back to India. And so she's like, okay. And he's like, and you're coming with me, right? So she has to tell her poor mom. Ugh, that's so horrible. Like yeah. her mom's just like a widow there. And she's just like, okay, bye, mom. I got married. And now I guess I have to go get on this ship with this man that I actually don't even know. Jeez, that's scary. <sighs> it is scary. Terrible. So they boarded a ship called the SS Kaiser Wilhelm II. It was the second of its kind in Southampton on November 2nd of 1891. So things are just happening really fast. Like yeah, she's that's literally like a known him. Week after, I know, basically. right? Yeah, her poor mom. I feel so sad for her. Yeah. So while they're on the ship, they were out there for weeks at sea, and Emily, you know, they would talk to the other passengers. She talked to the other passengers about her family back in Reno. Yeah. And the connection was now made. Like, those passengers remembered her. They also remembered Mr. Williams, Fred, right? Yeah. Posing as Alfred Williams. Albert, not Alfred. Uh, okay. Fred so people is remembered Albert. him. Okay. Yeah. People remembered him because he's a fucking dick, basically. He attracted all sorts of attention to himself. A lot of people just freaking hated him. They all agreed that he treated his wife in a very loving and considerate manner. So he put on a good show for this nice. wife. Okay. They arrived in the colony of Victoria uh, in Melbourne, Australia on December 15th. I thought they were going 18. to India. Yeah. I guess he was like, surprise, bitch. We're not going to India. Yeah, that's scary for her. I know. Right? They they arrive there. Basically, what he was doing was he was getting ready to hide her away in Windsor. So if he told everybody he was going to India and he actually took her somewhere completely else, like Windsor, Australia, which is near Melbourne, he could do that while he made preparations to actually kill her as well. Like, what was the point of him killing this one? Well, he did it again. Like, I don't understand why he did half the things he did, but he convinced himself that a lot of things were a good idea. In this particular instance, I believe that he did it so that if he was caught for killing his family, right, the ones that he buried, yeah, that he could tell people that Emily was just a jealous freak, right? He could just be like, oh, yeah. My new wife, Emily, you know, um, she was just mad and jealous and she killed my entire family. And then also she had her friend help cement the bodies into the kitchen. Oh. Yeah. Very tricky. It was never Fred's fault. Ever. Of course right? not. Because he's a little bitch. So then if Emily mysteriously disappeared... You know, and people started to wonder, he could just claim that she was running from what she did to his family. And it's not his fault. He was just a bigamist. That's all. Jesus. Not a big deal. Yeah. Nothing to see here. 
So this plan is like overly complicated. Like I feel like it's more complicated than it needs to be. Like, yeah. Why does he need so many women? Why does he need so many? Like it's like he just wanted these excuses to get married. He did. He loved weddings and parties, proposing or something like that. It's all about attention. It is. And presence. And presence. It's got to be. It's got to be about presence. It's got to be. Because later on, he sells the presents. Like, I don't know what kind of presents people were giving. Like, oh, that makes sense. Like, why he invited every fucking person in her hometown to the... Because he wanted all the presents. He wanted all the presents. When it's like, you're spending a bunch of money to put a wedding on. Like, I feel like a wedding costs more than the presents that you get. Yeah, but he pays for the wedding by stealing. I know, but, like, why couldn't he just keep the money that he stole and, like, live his life I don't that? know, because he likes parties. It's the attention. This is all about attention. Everyone is dancing at the Very party. weird. Okay, so they get to Australia, right? Yeah. They're there. Okay. So they rent a house on, it's at 57 Andrew Street in Windsor, which is a suburb of Melbourne. Okay. So the owner of the house that he was renting is a butcher from a uh, nearby town or something. He said that he really didn't have any problems renting to the guy because he came across uh, with this air of respectability. And at first, he didn't even know the guy's name. Like, yeah. seriously, Fred walks into the place. He's looking fancy. He's looking fly. And... John Stamford is like, you, sir, are a fine man. Yes. I don't even know your name yet. He does <laughs> find out. I have out, a man crush on you. And let's I have a you... man crush on you because you wear diamonds. Yes. So basically, he rents the name under the name Mr. Druin. Okay. Which also I'm wondering, like, where is Emily? Did he just yeah, tell her I'm woman like... wait in the carriage? Well, like, is Emily lying for him once they get there? Like, there's just a lot going on. Like, you just brought so. her to a whole different country than you told her she was going to. You're making up names. Like, at this point, are you threatening Emily? I don't and know. And she's scared? Like, how are you getting away Maybe. with these things? It just seemed like that wasn't the case. Like, she, it seemed like he was being nice to her from what everybody said. But then again, assholes that do things like this are usually really, really nice to you in front of other people. And then they're really horrible to you. Yeah. Those doors. Yeah. It's true. So he actually paid like a month's rent in advance. There's a reason for doing this. Okay. Because he was going to disappear again. Right. And yeah. wanted to make sure that nobody was going to go into the place and look in there. Mr. Druin um, is basically like, okay, me and my wife, Mrs. Druin, are going to be moving in. Nothing to see here. Remember, it's the 15th, so about 10 days before Christmas. To anybody he talked to in the area, he told them all, hello, my name is Mr. Druin, right? Like anybody that would listen to him. And he never used his first name. He was just like, I'm Mr. now. I really don't see anywhere that he said a first name, so I'm just guessing that he didn't. Okay, so he almost immediately left the property, like literally within a couple of weeks. His new neighbor didn't even have time to get to know the newlyweds. Like their neighbor was looking and was like, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like, you know, later on when they were asking him questions, 
he's like they were in and out of the house doing things and then within a matter of weeks it was like they were gone he's like but come to think of it he was reminded of something later on when he saw a dead body being pulled out of the property months later yeah he was reminded that on Christmas Eve, in the middle of the night, he heard a bunch of strange banging and clanging sounds, like metal on metal. Oh. After that, the Druins just kind of disappeared. He doesn't really remember seeing Emily after that, actually. Right? Yeah. So, unbeknownst to the neighbor at that time, Mr. Druin was busy murdering Emily. He cut her throat. In very much the same way that he had his other wife, Marie, and the kids. He actually ended up burying her under the second bedroom hearthstone of the fireplace. And again, he was going to use the cement or the concrete. He thought that this was going to be an easy job. That he was just going to do the same kind of burying trick that he had done in Liverpool But it turns out that the soil in Windsor is super rocky and it's hard to dig in. So it wasn't like like the English soil that he was used to. And so he's like, fuck, what do I do? Right. You know, there was a mixture of like really badly mixed cement. He must have dug this really shallow grave kind of thing behind there that was only like 18 inches deep. And it like it just it wasn't working the way he thought it was going to work. Yeah. And when he put the hearthstone back on there, like things just didn't quite look right. But of course, nobody was going into the property because he had paid for it in advance. Remember? Yeah. So he had secretly purchased the cement to to kind of trick her and had it had it delivered there. Later on, some people attest to it and they're like, yeah, yeah, that guy, you know, had him do that. Yeah. So unfortunately for Fred, the murders were uncovered in the wrong order. Like in his mind, if somebody was going to find that he had murdered somebody or they had found dead bodies, they were going to find Marie and the kids first in England. Right? Yeah. That was his whole reason for bringing Emily along. But it happened the other way around. Yeah. They found Emily first. And so at this point, that left him with no other choice but to pretend that he was completely insane to keep himself from being from being hanged. Yeah. Or having his head chopped off or whatever they did back then. Okay. So right after disposing of Emily in the hearthstone there and leaving that property in his spare time before he actually even hitched a ride out of Melbourne, he had found some time to actually approach a place called Holt's Matrimonial Agency. It's basically like Match.com of old like times. A, yeah, a matchmaking service. Yes. And he got on, on their little list as the name Mr. Duncan. So he was out there. Um, he wrote a letter to them wishing to meet a young lady with matrimonial intentions. Like he just really, really liked getting married. He really did. Okay. Like, I just don't understand. Like, his first wife caused him so many problems, right? Why would he keep wanting to get more and more and more? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So, he also found time in this brief time where he was 
in Melbourne in January after he had left that suburb of Melbourne, right after depositing the body, he found time to swindle a local jeweler there and definitely stole some things. So in early January of 1892, he then pretended to be someone named Dawson. See, it just keeps getting more and more and more confusing. Dawson or is he Mr. Dawson? I guess Mr. Dawson, whatever. He used that name again. Didn't he use that name before? I don't know. It's getting very confusing at this point. (sighs) I'm sorry. See, I'm trying. I know. So Fred auctioned off all of his African doodads that he had in his possession still. He also auctioned off Emily's clothes. He auctioned off the stolen jewelry that he had just stolen Melbourne and all of their wedding presents. Okay. So that gave him money so that he could again travel. And when he started traveling, it was on January 12th of 1892, right? Okay. So if we put it in context, kind of like back it up here, just as a little reminder, December 15th, he gets to Melbourne in that short window before Christmas. He gets into a house, then he kills his wife, his third wife at this point, kills his third wife, buries her in the fireplace on Christmas, then he gets the hell out of that suburb, he goes back to Melbourne, right, where there's a a seaport, and auctions everything off right away, right after Christmas in early January, and literally in less than a month's time. On January 12th, he is ready to get back on a boat and travel to Sydney. Jesus. And then, so where does this, like, match finder, matchmaker come into place? Well, the reason I told you about that is that later on, there's that letter that he wrote actually is part of his undoing as well. Okay, cool. Okay. I was like, he never actually finds a lady with that. Good call. Like, that doesn't work out for him. So now he is going to use the name Baron Swanston. Remember that? Yes. From the beginning, you were like, oh, he's a Baron? Yes. So now he is Baron Swanston. And Baron Swanston is, during the voyage, he is, of course, hitting on all the ladies that are around him. He finds a nice young lady. She's pretty young in her early 20s. Her name is Kate Rouncefell. Okay. Okay. So he barely knew her. I mean, right? So he starts courting her like while he's during the voyage and then after they make it to Sydney. So he just keeps on being this flashy rich guy. And like immediately he starts asking her to marry him. And she's just like, whoa, I don't, I barely know you. You know, she's very taken with him, but she barely knows him. So he told, he told Kate, um, if you agree to become my wife, you would quote, he said, okay, if you agree to become my wife, quote, she would never regret it and would always congratulate herself on having entered into matrimony with him. She would congratulate herself. Okay. Like that's a, <laughs> like if a man is like, will you marry me? You will always congratulate yourself on what an accomplishment an I awesome am. Husband. Yes. Yes. Fuck yourself. Sorry. 
Um, I don't know if you can hear it, but there's like little toe tappings going on behind me. It's because little Sneakamedes, Sneaker Snoo, my dog, is chasing her tail really fast in circles. Oh, I love her. She's so dumb. I love her. Yeah. Okay. So she did introduce, Kate in, did introduce Kate Baron Swanston to her sister. And even the sister was tricked into thinking that he was a catch. Oh, I'd like to think that you would be like, what the fuck? I would think so. But I mean, I mean, these are very young women. They're looking for a handsome, rich guy, right? He comes in and says he's a baron. That's true. She, he also told them that he was, because like if he believed it about himself, it was true. So he yeah. told them that he was a mining engineer. Okay. Like, I'm a mine engineer. Like, that's how I made all my money, right? And she's like, okay, right? So she was very coy with him. He would kept kept saying, oh, will you marry me? Will you marry me? And she'd be like, no, no. Oh, you're silly. No. And then finally she was like, okay, you can prove yourself to me by actually, you know, getting established. You're a mining engineer. So you go to this place that I tell you and get a job there, get established, and then I'll see. Right? Yeah. And so since he believes in himself so hard, he does. Like he does what she says. And and uh let's see, they have this Whirlman romance and Fred gave her several items that later on were shown to be stolen jewelry from Melbourne again. Yeah. And she finally did consent to marry him. So now it's his fiance. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. So if you're counting, this is wife number four. Yeah. First one is killed. Second one is abandoned. Third one is killed. And now here he goes again. Like, I don't know. Whatever. He does seriously, it does appear that he is really smitten with her. Kind of. Okay. So he like maybe didn't mean (laughs) to murder her right away or something. Like this one, he seems like he he is kind of into her, but also he does hit on other ladies well, other times. So yeah. I don't know. Okay, okay. He says to her like, "Okay, I'm gonna get established like you want me to do, and then I'll send for you." So she agrees to follow him to Western Australia, and they parted companies. And this is his mo. It's always I'm gonna get established, and then I'll send for you. Yeah. Fuck that. If you're my man, I'm going to be right there by your side when you're moving to a different part of the world. Yeah. No. Basically, by means of forged testimonials, Fred is able to obtain a position as a mining engineer at a place called Southern Cross. By the 22nd of January. So, I mean, like time is passing really quickly. This is like 10 days later. Yeah. He's departed for... Oh, my gosh. Like, he's literally not even known her for an entire month. Wow. Okay. I just, I can't wrap my brain around this, like, how fast it is. So he departs for a place called Fremantle. Okay. Again, Fred, posing as Baron Swanston, um, made a name for himself on the ship, right? He's boasting about his wealth and his position in society. And while he's, he's on this ship... 
He's also macking on this chick named Miss Maud Beach. Okay. Okay. She's just like a young lady that's on there. She's taking care of, I'm assuming, her elderly aunt and uncle, Mr. and Mrs. Wakely. Yeah. In this case, Fred's charms really didn't work. She basically was like, yeah, I'm smarter than that. You need to fuck right off. Yeah. And Maud's uncle, Mr. Wakely, told Baron Swanston, or Fred, quote, I may tell you plainly that I don't believe your stories and I'm not in the habit of allowing men of your class to enter my family circle. <laughs> so he wasn't tricking all the dudes. He was only tricking some ladies, but not yes. all the ladies. Okay. So once he settled at Southern Cross, Fred remained in contact with Kate. He was writing her letters like crazy. On February 8th, right, he wrote to her, Don't keep me waiting, dear. If you love me half as much as I love you, you won't keep me waiting a single day. So Jesus. he was just trying to get her to where he was. And they literally hadn't even known each other for two months. Wow. I know. It's amazing. Okay. So back in Windsor, that's that suburb of Melbourne at 57 Andrew Street. You know, the one where he buried Emily in the fireplace. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's March 3rd now. So a few months have passed. Three months have passed since he buried her yeah. in the house. And the landlord is now at a point where they're trying to find a new tenant. Because, you know, rent's been paid up. They're done there. It's time for me to find someone else. So a fine lady comes in and she goes to look at everything. And they they kind of smell something weird. But they make it up to the second bedroom. And she's like, holy hell. Get me out of this house. It stinks yeah. in here. It smells like and a dead like, body. And gets out of there as fast bench. as possible. So the owner and an estate agent went up there and they realized that, like, the hearthstone was, like, oozing. Ew. Yeah. So they started to investigate where it was coming. And they were like, okay, we're going to find something. Like, there's got to be, like, a dead rodent or something. They're barely able to even breathe in the room because it's so bad. Yeah. So they're unable to kind of find things. And then they see this, like, the gross thing that's happening there. Yeah. And they call the police. And they go in and they take the hearthstone off and they start pulling stuff out and they see some long hair. Oh, Long, no. dark hair coming out. Yeah. And they find Emily Williams' uh, body in the fetal position, like pushed in there. Yeah. I know. It's horrible. They did a, a postmortem or basically an autopsy on the next day on March 4th. They found that her skull had been fractured by several blows. So basically same thing where he knocked her out probably and then he cut her pretty much ear to ear. So exact same cause of death, right, that he did to the other family members. Like he has a way that he does this. Yeah, it's and like it has, methodical, but it's also like the the, the seems like the motive behind it is just like wedding presents. It's just really weird. I know it's like really attention weird. wedding present. Yeah, so yeah. weird. Okay, so 
of course, as we know, this is no different than in America, right? This is the same time period, literally the exact same time period, same year as like the Lizzie Borden case that we talked yeah. about. Yeah. You know that all the telegraph stuff is happening. People are able to get news out farther and farther reaching, right? Quicker so, than they had been able to. And their ship manifests yeah. in the middle. Yes. So it becomes like a really big deal. They're trying to sell newspapers. They're getting people all riled up. Stuff is happening in Whitechapel in yeah. England, right? With Jack the Ripper, all this stuff. So the publicity that's surrounding these findings of Emily's body in this kind of way, within a few days, the Age newspaper, it's called The Age, they connected the murder to Jack the Ripper immediately. Um, they said... From the outset of suspicion of insanity is almost suggested, and a tinge of the Whitechapel murders hinted. The body hacked and mangled, the cool manner in which the cementing was carried out, the taking a house, etc., the laborious obliteration of all traces of the crime, all these things suggest the malevolence and craft which can scarcely accompany the sane murderer no matter how callous and brutal. So basically they were saying, like, the person that did this has to be seriously fucked up, as is the Ripper, right? So, like many of the other Ripper suspects, there is no irrefutable evidence to really prove that Fred Deeming was Jack the Ripper beyond him giving, like, he does later on give an unwritten confession which is probably just to get attention. Yeah, he um, didn't do the Jack the Ripper. Sorry, but and then this basically guy's too like dumb a bunch of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yes, and then like a bunch of journalists saying some stuff, but like also journalists accused him of being a vampire because oh, okay. <laughs> because you know <laughs> they said there was a conspicuous absence of blood in his victims at the crime scenes. Oh, he must be a vampire. And also Jack the Ripper. And also, and also, right? It's ridiculous. So. (laughs) There were a lot of clues that were left at the 57 Andrews Street house in in, uh, Windsor. So they did find some blood spots. Remember with, with the murder that he had done on his wife and kids, he had, like, had somebody come in and actually clean afterwards? Yeah. Well... In this one, he didn't. Like, he didn't have anybody coming clean, so I guess he wasn't really good at that. And there was a lot of evidence that if it were today, they would have caught him. Oh, for sure. There were even some fingerprints, but they were completely worthless because they didn't really know what the fuck to do with those. They did look in some of the fireplaces and noticed that, like, he obviously had done some cleanup, whoever did this, and that there were some, like, piles of ashy things that had been burned. Yeah. And they just kind of moved past it. They had a good description of him. Remember his neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. And then other people he had met. So, well, that neighbor guy, he was really bothered because he's like, hey, guys, like, also, like, what are you doing? And they're like, yeah, we're pulling a dead body out of the fireplace. And he's like, okay, uh, you know, like, he's like, so did you find anything? And the police are basically like, no, we didn't find anything. So after everybody goes home, neighbor guy lets himself into the house oh because he's just like he just needed to go in there he's like i just need to go in there and like see 
Like, what yeah. the fuck is going on, right? So he's poking around in some fireplaces, and he feels something firm. So he pulls out a partially burned paper, and it's an invitation from A.O. Oh. Williams. Yeah. Oh, my God. This guy's awesome. And he puts it together. Yeah, he puts it together that Druin, this is not Mr. and Mrs. Druin. I think this is fucking Mr. and Mrs. Williams. Yeah. So he goes to the police station and he's kind of freaked out like that he's going to get in trouble, but he gives it to them and they're like, no shit. So, or it could be another thing claimed that the police did find like a torn luggage ticket. Yeah. And that they traced that luggage ticket that they found in the house over to the fact that his real name wasn't. But I do think, since it was on the Serial Killers podcast, I do think that the neighbor's the one that found the invitation. That seems more likely because I feel like they're probably really good does. at research. So. Yeah, because the the constables, Considine and Cossey were the detectives that were working on the case. And they just kind of seemed like they weren't really good at their jobs. Sorry. But they really didn't seem like they were. Yeah. And like other people kept doing their detectivizing for them. Detectivizing. So, I like it. Yeah. So they realized that Mr. Druin, right? How Fred was going by Mr. and Mrs. Druin, mm -hmm. that they had arrived in Melbourne from the UK on December 9th of... 1891 which also doesn't make sense whoever wrote this because i thought it was december 15th so it was either the 9th or the 15th whatever and that they had a had arrived on a passenger vessel as we know as the kaiser wilhelm ii right accompanied by his young wife emily they know that he had traveled under the name albert williams so they're like ha ha we caught him right we know his real name they were able to interview other passengers. Now, remember how people were talking about them? Mm -hmm. And they all corroborated descriptions of Mr. Williams and his wife, Emily. Like, oh, she's lovely, but he's terrible. Yeah. There was also somebody that was on the boat that was trying to convey, like, how ridiculous Albert Williams was. Yeah. And they were saying he even bragged about fashioning a set of pliers out of a pair of knitting needles like that was a story that he told it was yeah. super stupid and people remembered it and later on that would come to bite him in the ass okay they start looking around and they're also provided info by local tradesmen including stamford the guy that owned the house and his agent that was helping take care of the house right they all were like, yeah, this was my interactions with the guy. We thought he was great, blah, blah, blah. There yeah. was also a local laundress. I guess when they had arrived, they had like a bunch of laundry that needed to be done. Yeah. So there was that lady. There was an ironmonger, which is a really great title. I or wish I could put that monger. on my LinkedIn. Yeah. I am a ironmonger. An ironmonger. He sold Fred the cement. Oh, okay. Yeah. At that time. He also had sold him a broom, a trowel, a closet pan, and a spade a few weeks earlier. He described him as being in his mid-30s, fair-haired, with a reddish beard, and a large distinctive mustache that was that he was medium height and slight build. See, now he said slight build, so maybe okay. he lost some weight? Maybe. I don't know. 
The ironmonger also couldn't help but notice that Mr. Druin was kind of flamboyant. He dressed with a lot of jewelry and he spoke really loudly with with a Lancashire England accent. Okay. I'm sorry, English people, that I say all of the words wrong. I yeah. truly do apologize <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. I hope that you laugh at me instead of be mad. Okay. All right. In his weeks at sea, Emily had talked to other passengers. And remember, she had told them about her family back in Rainhill. And yeah. she now people were like making the connection. Right. They're like, oh, that chick. Oh, no. She's actually from England. They also said that, you know. Albert attracted so much attention during that voyage, telling stupid stories like that one. Yeah. So basically, you know, everyone had said, yeah, he was nice and loving and considerate to his wife. But also, I guess Fred repeatedly offended the ship's crew by accusing them of stealing his valuables. He thought everyone was stealing from him. He pretty much pissed everyone off and everyone fucking hated him. Yes. So as they should. That comes back. The police now had a very good description of Mr. Williams, his unusual characteristics, including his giant red mustache. That was magnificent. And now they were circulating this description. And I believe like a police sketch description, you know, this is what he did. They circulated that to the other Australian colonies. And at this stage, his real identity was still unknown, right? Nobody knew that he was actually Frederick. Yeah. There was an inquest that was held on March 8th, which was basically some sort of law policey type thing. It was discovered that a man answering Mr. Williams' description had auctioned a variety of household goods, possibly wedding presents, and was in the city in early January of 1892. So basically they were starting to figure stuff out like, Oh, that guy with the the big red mustache. Okay. So it was found that at the time, directly after the Christmas murder of Emily, Fred was staying at the Cathedral Hotel on Swanston Street in Melbourne. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. He was like, what should I go with? What should I go with? Oh, Uh, Swanston Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was registered at the hotel as Mr. Duncan. Remember that name? Yeah. Was the guy that he used to inquire about getting a new wife? Yes. From the Match.com of old time? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it later transpired that Fred had written an affectionate letter posing as Albert Williams to Emily Mather's mother several days after the murder. Oh, Ooh. that's really terrible. Yeah. Like in the letter to Dove Mather, um, that's Emily's mom. We're going to find out a little bit more about that um, once this other guy comes into the picture. So now let's move forward. It is now May of that year. Okay. And in a paper called The Daily News, it said, quote, further particulars of the Windsor murder shows that the body was built in in cement under the hearthstone. It was evidently done by an expert workman. The tenant of the cottage has not yet been traced. He was more than once seen at home with a female companion about 35 years of age, fair complexion and light hair, who is showily dressed. 
which is weird because they said her hair was dark when they found her. I don't know. Yeah. The supposed murderer of this gentlemanly appearance, medium height, square shoulders, wore a light mustache, and in appearance generally was a Swede or Norwegian, but betrayed no foreign accent. He had plenty of money, souvenirs, and notes. The parties had evidently only just arrived from a long sea voyage as they had sent a large quantity of linen to be washed. Okay, they got a whole bunch of things wrong. Yeah. In the paper. So, you know, it's hard. Always did. Yeah, but it like blows my mind that they were able to find this guy as quickly as they did. With all the bullshit circulating. Okay, so in the meantime, the circumstances surrounding Emily's death totally captured the public interest like there was like hordes of onlookers that were there to watch her coffin as it was lowered into a pauper's grave yeah like a week after the discovery of the body no one was there to claim her body because her family didn't even know she was dead back of in course england not. yeah no like nobody had put it together yet to tell them so meanwhile there was like a super observant employee of the coastal shipping company that had just been on board with Baron Swanston, right? Yeah. He told the police that he saw a man that basically had the same description as the bad guy and that he boarded the vessel that sailed on January 23rd from Melbourne to Perth in Western Australia. He also said that that dude told the other ship passengers about that fucking pair of knitting needles, the players. Like that stupid fucking he... needle, knitting needle story. I said his knittle needle. <laughs> his knittle needle. His knittle needle story. He thought he was so fucking cool that wow. he, like, he made that shit up and then he just kept telling people for the sake of lying. He just thought it was a cool story. Yeah. Anyway, it just is crazy that he just was so stupid and he just kept getting away with it. So, He was basically this flamboyant, pants-on-fire liar, Baron Swanston. Yeah, You know, his new name. Police immediately issued a wanted poster in every settlement in Western Australia. The Baron was not hard to find. In a small mining settlement of Southern Cross, remember the one where his new lady Kate wanted him to go? Yeah. It was on the remote Western Australian gold fields. And Barron had taken a job as an engineer in charge of machinery at the Fraser Gold Mine. Oh, my God. He was operating machinery, and he actually didn't even know what the fuck he was doing. Yeah, that's terrifying. That blows my mind. Okay. So Barron is completely outrageous with his jewelry. I did hear that he would wear, like, sometimes, like, diamonds pinned to himself. And, like, he was ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his city clothes, his large distinctive mustache, and his English accent basically were like standing out like nobody's business because he's bright red. Yeah. And um, it's dumb. So Fred Deeming, a.k.a. Albert Williams, a.k.a. Baron Swanston, was finally arrested at about 1 p.m. on March 11th or 14th of 1892. Okay. You know. Because people tell things in different ways. Yeah. Um, he was arrested in Southern Cross in Western Australia. And then he was extradited back to Victoria to stand trial for the murder of Emily Williams. Okay. When he was handcuffed, he said, quote, I shall say nothing. I am innocent. I have never been to Windsor, to the best of my knowledge. 
I do not know where it is. And yeah, then I don't he added, believe you, dude, because you're like you're not yeah. you're not going to keep your mouth shut either. So he's just like very adamant, and he was like, "My name is not Williams." No, he's like, "I can't help that." Yeah. <laughs> so they loaded him up into the wagon to take him away, and there's this constable, and his name is P.C. Williams. And double initial yo. Double initial yo, and literally he was able to like sweet talk this guy the constable like they were hanging out they were telling stories he was playing of checkers course. with him what yeah the fuck oh it makes me so mad when like horrible liar people can when they fool other people, people into thinking yes yeah. oh, it makes me so mad okay so the day after emily williams remains were laid to rest right in the pauper's grave the constable P.C. Williams, wired the Melbourne detectives to tell them that the man they were looking for was safely under lock and key in Southern Cross and that they were going to be heading back. So they found the man that they had seen heading to the mining town. The guy that had seen him heading to the mining town. Remember the one that was like with the knitting knitting needles? Yeah. Yeah. They found him and they were like, hey, look at this dude. Is he the one? And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's the one. Anyway, he takes him back to the jail. He's like looks super out of place at the jail with all of the other drunken miners and he's just like see i am an upstanding individual i did not do this yeah he convinces the constable to let him stay alone in a cell like by in his own cell for the night and not with the other drunk pants peers yeah and while he's in there I guess apparently Fred was like freaking out like a caged animal because he got some broken glass somehow and he shaved off his mustache and then he plucked out any yes he shorned himself and then any hairs that he couldn't get he just like plucked them out like he just plucked everything out and he was like in the morning he was like see he's like I'm not the red mustache guy (laughs) can we put you to like you listen dude here's the deal we saw you like it's gonna grow back yeah what a fucking idiot I guess his plan was to just like keep on plucking hairs out one by one so nobody would ever know. That's fucking great. Okay. What about your beard? Anyway, by the time of the arrest of Fred, who was posing as Albert Williams, um, also Mr. Druin, also Baron Swanston, you get the picture. Um, By the time it reached the people of Victoria, it was had all these headlines saying the Windsor murderer is arrested, right? So everyone is putting stuff out there. Albert Williams still had a secret. You know, the secret is his first wife and kids are buried back in Rainbow. Yeah. So there's a British journalist who is a really good detective. There is an outpost in Australia from the same journalist group that he belongs to. And so he's getting some information from them. Yeah. His name is Samuel Lowe. And he was about to break the case wide open and do the job for the police that they sucked ass at. So he learned about that burnt up piece of paper, you know, the one from the wedding. He learned about that. And his boss told him to go to Rainhill. And it's not a very big town. Talk to everyone and talk and find out everything you can about Williams. Yeah. Find out everything you can. 
and like why did they come to Australia? Where did they come from? Where did they go? Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah. Okay. So he tracks down Dove Mather, who is Emily's mom. Yeah. Does she Remember know at this point she... that her daughter's dad? No. Oh, man. She doesn't. So he tracks this woman down. He knocks on her door. He's basically like, hey, do you have a daughter named Emily? And she's like, yeah. Do you have a son-in-law, you know, named Albert? Yeah. Okay. Is he a red beard? So she's like, yeah. He just wrote me a letter. Like, I just heard from them. And she said that the son-in-law had sent her a letter saying that there had been a change in plans. Like, at this point, I'm guessing she probably thought they were going to India. And instead, she gets this letter from Australia. And then, basically, he says, actually, just kidding, I took a job in China. I'm going to go there for three years. And then after the three years is up, I'm going to return back to England. And you can hang out with your daughter again. Isn't that great? Yeah. So, at this point... Uh, the reporter is trying to ask a lot of questions and she starts to get weirded out. And she's like, why are you asking me a bunch of questions about my daughter? And Lo realized at that moment that nobody had told her. Oh, no. So and did he so tell her? He did. Well, he had to tell him. her. And I, yeah, and I guess she like passed out. Ugh. Yeah. So it was pretty bad. From there, he figured out that... Williams had rented Denham Village from Mrs. Mather, right? Yeah. And so he starts talking to the people in the small village, and they're all like, oh, yeah, well, he had a sister, and she didn't really look like him, and also they had, like, a pile of kids, and then they were all like, hey, where did she go anyway, right? So, like, oh, yeah, and then I remember he started bringing Emily around, like, as soon as his sister disappeared. That's weird. Yeah. So Lowe had this sneaking suspicion that perhaps his concrete thing that he did in Australia wasn't the first time he had done that. Yeah. So he gets in touch with the locals. He's like, hey, guys, I really think that we need to get into this house. It's empty. We and need to get in the there concrete. yeah, and dig this up and find out what's going on. So they do. So they go there and they know about the concrete and everything that had happened in the kitchen. So they go to work with pickaxes and stuff and they start chipping away stuff. And before long, it doesn't take long. They crack the seal on that baby and holy hell, it starts to stink. And so they just work their way through it. The family was all found kind of in a line. Yeah. Basically, on March 16th, they had it all dug up. And, like, the sad part is that the first one that they found was the nine-year-old. She was, like, all encased. Her name was Bertha. They found her first. They couldn't barely tell that it was. They could kind of tell it was a child. Like, everything was just real bad. Yeah. They ended up pulling all the bodies out they found that all of them were killed in the same way except for one of the children was actually uh strangled with a big rope what so, a piece of shit i know so the kids were bertha nine years old marie was seven sydney was five and lilo was 18 months what a piece of shit so, yeah so at this point yeah it's really sad so finally the detectives, the detectives, Considine and Cossey, were like, oh, yeah, he's actually Frederick Bailey Deeming. 
No shit. Right? So the press is having a field day. They do end up contacting the brother, you know, and the family of Marie and everybody, and they figure this out. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I guess that's probably my brother that did that. Yeah. This is his real name kind of thing. He's like, yeah, confirmed. Um, My brother is a complete piece of shit. So that sounds right. He is a complete piece of shit. And he told us that they were on vacation. Ew. Um, So the press has a field day with this. Basically, he's a fucking sociopath. And they're selling all sorts of newspapers about it. Yeah. Like, same thing. Like, remember how everything was going on with the Borden case during that exact same time? Exact same fucking thing. Like, goes nuts. So the unsolved Whitechapel murders, again, still fresh in everyone's mind, combining that with everything that he had done. Of course, people are saying that it was Jack the Ripper. It initiated and gave credence, however, because there were reports that he confessed while in transit. Yeah, that was for attention. Like while he was being... That was... It was totally for attention and it probably didn't happen, but they did say that he verbally said that he had committed two of the Ripper murders. So soon there were articles coming out nationwide with all these different theories about motives for the Rainhill murder. And they were saying that it was to silence his wife. She had discovered his awful secret and labeled him the Jack the Ripper of the Southern Seas. Just people making shit up. Yeah. So Melbourne's newspapers actually said that Deeming was guilty before his trial, you know, so he yeah. wasn't going to get a fair trial. They described him as the criminal of the century and a human tiger, which is weird. Yeah. They actually put together a play that was performed in March and April before the actual uh, trial. Yeah. And it was called Willful Murder, and it was based on the Windsor murder that happened to Emily. He really, really didn't get a fair trial and there definitely wasn't an unprejudiced jury like it just, I mean, it just with, wasn't like, how possible. ridiculous he acted i don't know that i care that much in this i really don't situation. care i don't care but his his lawyers cared so one of his lawyers was actually the future prime minister alfred deacon he he was really really pissed off about this whole thing about him not receiving a fair trial and you know, mm-hmm. it's just all sensationalized. So basically, deeming they took his handwriting and they compared it to samples that were accredited to the Ripper as foreign and domestic papers alleged alleged that um, he was an acquaintance with one of the Ripper victims. Uh, the victim's name was Catherine. I think it's Eddowes. Okay. Eddowes. Eddowes. Okay. So Eddowes. Um, it is reported had written to Deeming or Fred right during mm-hmm. his travels. Although, like many other claims, this too remains unproven. So, yeah, just some people saying some shit. On April eighth of eighteen ninety two, a report was published in the Melbourne Evening Standard claiming he had been identified by a London dressmaker as being in the East End the night Eddowes was murdered. Um, seeing a photograph of Deeming, she recognized him as Mr. Lawson. So I think it's just people trying to get attention. Yeah, I think so, um, too. It just, like, it doesn't doesn't add up to me. Yeah. Other people that knew them said that 
that Fred had intimate knowledge of Edo's mutilations, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was all just like out of control. So in Reno, while all this was going on, they actually had to have like extra telegraph lines that had to be connected. And 22 clerks were hired to handle the demand of journalists because things were yeah. crazy. Covering the inquest into the Deeming family murders. So everybody had wanted their piece of it. Public interest in the case made it so that they had to add like a scheduling of extra rail services. There was all these people that wanted to come and see Denham Village. Like they just wanted to walk past the gross house and see. So over 10,000 lined the streets and were crowding into the cemetery to watch the funeral of Marie and the kids. And, like, even years afterwards, people would anonymously leave flowers on their graves. Wow. It's just, like, shitty that people want to make such a big deal about it after the fact. Like, where was everybody yeah. when she needed help when she was alive? That's just how it is, though. I mean, like, people are... It is. I mean, we wouldn't be telling the story now, either. You know, like, it's... I know. It's... Inter- <laughs> like, people are interested in death, which is why we do this, they right? Are, like, but it's... But it's just sad that it is sad because it could be so many women, you know, like this story like really resonated. It really resonated with me. Yeah. I I just like fucking lunatic asshole abuser, you know, like I I just, yeah, it, it blows my mind for like ridiculous about it ridiculous and selfish purposes yeah yes just believing any bullshit that comes out of his own mouth yeah anyway so deeming was returned to melbourne by april 1st after a two-day inquest on on emily mather they sat him down with dr j e neald um he was the acting coroner and they committed him for trial so in australia the belief was that Deeming was the Ripper, and it was all reinforced by accounts of his conversations with these doctors at the Melbourne prison. Yeah. They were sent by the court to determine if he was sane or not. And he really wanted people to think that he was insane because then he could go to an asylum instead of the gallows. Right. So he told Dr. Andrew Shields that he had on occasions gone searching for prostitutes that he had slept with that had given him syphilis. And he intended on killing them and believed that the extermination of all such women should happen. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't really. So I think he, he was definitely just, he was just saying shit to say shit. just saying things. Yeah. 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 That's what I think. So he basically said that he had contracted venereal disease with a peculiar intensity, and he said, I've had my own back anyhow, as more than one of them found out. What? So in other words, he's standing up for himself by killing prostitutes uh, yeah, that gave him... Yeah. Just a bunch of garbage. I, is what comes just a bunch to. of garbage. Don't even listen to it. Grasps at straws. Basically, like, things got so hysterical in Australia, they started calling it they called it demania. Wow. Because people were just going nuts. I'm sure that parts so, of him loved this attention, though. Like, all the attention and the they, it did. media. Oh, he probably fucking loved it. 
Yep. Yep. So immediately preceding the Whitechapel murders, there were these conflicting reports that have him in Liverpool, Plymouth, Devon, which are all places around about there. So basically, and then there were other reports that he was still in South Africa or maybe even incarcerated or in prison, which just made it like not even make sense that it could be him. His brother, Albert, was... Wait, did he say his name was Albert? I'm so confused. Alfred, Albert. It's Albert. He said his name was Albert? Whatever. the the His, his name was Albert, and then there was a brother named okay. Alfred, or maybe not. Okay. I don't know. Well, this one says his brother's name is Alfred. Albert. Okay. Okay. Doesn't know. really matter. The guy that was married to his, you know, the sister. His brother that was married whatever. to the sister. Yeah, that's what I knew. That's the only way yeah, that yeah. we're going to identify him. That brother claimed that he had visited family members at Birkenhead in late 1888. So I guess that threw off some other stuff that people were trying to say that he was Jack the Ripper. And he was like, no, because this happened. Okay, so although, although his presence in Britain was first irrefutably established in October of 1889, when he resurfaced in Hull posing as an Australian guy named Harry Lawson, I guess that threw it off too. Yeah. So the prison theory was also frequently cited by some historians who ruled him out as the Ripper candidate, but their hypothesis was based on incorrect dates. So pretty much it's like all fucked up all over the place. People try to either say he did it or didn't do it based on where he was or wasn't. But really, who the fuck knows? Like he was everywhere. Yeah. Except for like prison stints and things like that. I guess it's kind of hard to tell. In 1890... Not earlier, under the alias Harry Lawson, Deeming was convicted and sentenced to nine months for false pretenses. So people use that also. And then there was the time when he defrauded that jeweler in Hull of 400 pounds in jewelry before he escaped, right, where he got caught. That was back when he was right before or after he got married to Helen, right? Yeah. His alias saving him from the addition of bigamy charges, having married local woman, Miss Matheson, who unwillingly played a part in his plans, right? All this kind of stuff. People just keep using it over and over and over again to say he either is or isn't, whatever. So his counsel, William Forlong and Alfred Deacon, they sought a months-long adjournment because they wanted to be able to have time to put evidence together about his psychiatric history. And to allow for some of the hysteria to settle down. Yeah. So Sir Henry Hodges granted them one week. Really. They wanted a month. He gave them a week and was like, get your shit together. Your guy's a loon. Um, The trial took place on the 28th through the 30th of April and also on May 2nd. So basically April 28th through May 2nd. Okay. It was a pretty short trial, actually. It was very short. Yeah. He was tried under the name of Williams, which I find to be really weird because they knew he wasn't. Yeah, that's weird. He said he relied on the defense of insanity. The psychiatric evidence by doctors J.W. Springthorpe and J.Y. Fishborn. It was like super, super like in at that time to use the two letters. Yeah, that definitely was. It was super cool. And I kind of dig it though. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> the evidence was inadequately presented, apparently. 
Although they did clear up that, yes, he was, in fact, epileptic. So in a newspaper called The Inquest on March 22nd of 1892, it reads, Previously, the identity of Swanston with Williams had not been absolutely established. Now the accused is understood to admit that he arrived in Victoria with his wife under the name of Williams. He states, however, that she could not have been murdered on the date which Conjecture named for her death because he saw her about a week later. He asserts that he quarreled with her at the Federal Coffee Palace on account of her conduct with some other man and knew no more of her fate. That pisses me off because she's dead, number one, and he's, like, saying that she's a cheater? Yeah, fuck him. Ugh! Okay. The effect of this statement would be to raise a question respecting the identity with Mrs. Williams of the woman found in the Windsor Cottage, and presuming that were sufficiently established to throw the onus of the murderer upon a third party. When the inquest was opened a fortnight ago in Melbourne, however, the body of the dead woman was positively identified as that of Mrs. Williams by the gentleman who was a fellow passenger with the accused and his wife in the Kaiser Wilhelm, and who picked out Williams yesterday in Perth from amongst a number of other prisoners. So they took somebody from that was on the ship with them and made them identify the body. Fuck. Ugh. Like, dude didn't even know her. Oh, yeah. That's horrible. Okay. I feel like that'd be better than so, having to identify, like having to have a family member do it, though. Like, if I, know, I could spare a family still, from having to do that, I would. I guess. I'd rather. Oh, uh, I don't know. It's like she had been dead for three months and was like, yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, the jury was super, super fast and they sentenced him to death. They were like, just like, guilty, kill him. Okay. So on May 9th, literally like so fast they Remember, do like, the trial gets done on may 2nd yeah. yeah right to a speedy trial i don't know if it's like that in australia but go okay so the executive council confirmed the death sentence on the 19th the judicial committee of the privy council refused leave to appeal so they were like nope you can't do an appeal on the 23rd he was hanged so Good. i guess it did take i should have let his throat 21 days yeah so he spent the last three weeks of his life furiously writing down his autobiography. Oh, beautiful. because I'm sure of course he felt like he was art. so important. Did he put his plier story in there? Probably, but we're never gonna know because he did go through reams of paper, like writing down every detail of his criminal career and alleged associations with people, high-ranking people, even royalty. Because he was so fucking cool. And he wanted everyone to know. And he also wished that his fiance Kate, would still love him, but she didn't. I'm glad she didn't die. Because she was probably good. I'm glad she didn't die either. And she did not want anything to do with him anymore. And he was just like, hey, I still love you. And she was like, yeah, you could fuck right off. Yeah, dude. Go go fuck yourself. I guess he was sad that she, like, wouldn't come see him. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so when publishers in England received word that they offered him £1,000 for the rights to the book, Mm -hmm. following his execution, the government ordered the manuscript to be destroyed with all of his personal papers. They were like, no, nope, get rid of it. 
Um, on the eve of the execution, they were really hoping that he would make a full confession. They were really hoping that he would also ask, you know, for a doctor, a clergyman, somebody. They were hoping he would tell somebody if he really was Jack the Ripper. Yeah. He didn't. Normally, he was loud and obnoxious, but he just didn't. He refused to answer, and pretty much he was just enjoying the fame of the yeah. whole thing. He was a piece of shit. So he walked to the gallows while smoking a cigar. There were 12,000 people all there. I believe they had to, like, buy a ticket to get in. 12,000. Really That's a weird. lot of people. Wow. Yeah. They were all there to basically celebrate because they were like, he's a monster. He's getting executed. Everyone was into it. They didn't have Netflix back then. So before the noose was placed around his neck, the sheriff asked him if he had any last words. And he said, quote, Lord, receive my soul. Or just kidding. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. Uh, The executioner pulled the lever. It dropped open. Super big bang. And he just died. I have a feeling he had to go back to the place where souls are made for reshaping. I think he had to go. Yeah, I think he had like a do-over. Yeah. Yeah. He was just dead. So he just hung there limply and the whole crowd was like cheering and happy. And after they took his body down and they made a death mask Mm -hmm. and they sent it to Scotland Yard for reference in the Rainhill investigations and also just in case he was Jack the Ripper. Yeah. So they were like, we don't know what else to do, but here's a cast of his face. Yeah. And they like painted it and shit. It's so gross. It is displayed in the Black Museum. Uh, It's described to visitors as being that of Jack the Ripper. Oh, I just, that's not true. I just, like, I just, I feel really solidly about that. Like this is, we've had too many Jack the Ripper cases now. Where I'm like, do like is this? I know yeah. that once, like, if I have to do it, it's gonna take forever to research. I know. I'm avoiding that. Okay. Yeah. So basically, they like did all sorts of weird things. Doctors did, and other interested researcher type parties. Uh, they did all sorts of weird things to his body. Um. <laughs> they put him in an unmarked prison grave until. A lot later, they ended up having to move things. His head was removed and studied for signs of criminality by doctors. That's what was afraid of. Or, yeah, I mean, like, that's why he... Yes, yes. That were... um, I guess they were these doctors that were interested in in, in phrenology. Um, His cranial capacity was around 1,400 cc's. 100 cc's below the average for an adult male. And there were a few, there were a few newspapers that described his appearance as ape-like. I mean, I guess I, I don't think they see were probably going overboard on that. Yeah, a little bit. Years later, there was an anatomist named Sir William Colin Mackenzie. He later described him as resembling his skull as resembling that of a male gorilla, <laughs> and God. was like. Yep, sure enough, he's a human monster thing. Contemporary photos do not suggest any physical abnormality, and there were many, including his victims, who must have considered him to be attractive and charming and reasonable. So he was not, in fact, an ape man. Yeah, just not very smart. Today at the Melbourne prison, or they call it the Melbourne 
ghoul, goal, I don't know, whatever. There's okay. a museum that's operated by the National Trust, and Deeming Skull is actually part of the exhibition okay. of former inmates that were on death row, I guess. Um, there's a bunch of the like the masks, the death masks and the skulls. And they're basically like forensic trophies of everyone that was executed there. It's kind of gross. That is gross. It's displayed. The skull is displayed, but it's like cut in half. Oh. So it kind of just looks well, like yeah, an ashtray. Like, open or whatever. Yeah. Kind of looks like an ashtray. So. Interesting. In summary, the exact movements of deeming at the time of the Whitechapel murders are nebulous. Due to the many aliases he operated under and compounded by his surreptitious, surreptitious movements around the world. Agreed with that entire statement. Like, we didn't know what the fuck he was doing. I just think, like, Fred's movements were all very premeditated and they were very motive driven for him to get presents. Yeah. And it just doesn't match up with the the slash pattern of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I guess Santa didn't completely visit him completely different when he was a kid. And... Like, I think mm-hmm. he got, I think he got some brain sick. I think he had a bad childhood. I think he didn't he get enough perfect... attention. Yeah, he needed he to feel special. Mm-hmm. Well. It happens to some people, but most people don't turn into a fucking murderer. So, so it was a really, was it hard to keep up with that story? No, I think that you did a really good job at it. It was super interesting. I've never heard of this person before. Dear Lord, that was, that was, I don't know if I got all of the details exactly right, but I did the best I could. Well, I think you did great, considering that I don't know at all. Okay. Well, it's all truth, okay? Cool. All right. Awesome. Are we closing it off? We are closing this bitch off. All um, right. I will see you next time. All right. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.